0: Hello, and welcome to the Wales Journal of Education podcast. I'm Professor Tom Crick, one of the editors of WJE. And today I'm joined by Dr. Alan Glendora Meredith, and we'll be discussing his article in issue 25.2, titled Primary School Parent Governors in a Deprived South Wales Community. How do their experiences contribute to our understanding of school governance? So, Chriso Alan, welcome. And uh, thank you for coming to talk to us on the podcast. Can you tell us a little bit something about yourself and your background, please?
1: Thanks very much for inviting me, by the way, you know, I really do appreciate it. Anyway, I'm Alan Meredith, got a bit of an unusual background as um, a researcher. I was born in the Rhonda, still live in the Rhondda, uh, brought up in poverty, really, and failed the 11 plus, which, you know, which for a lot of people, they don't even know what it is. Went to the local secondary modern school, left school at 15, there were any qualifications. I uh, worked on, you know, uh, manual work, building sites, driving, factories, several years. Uh, early 20s, Mario children, I decided to get a good education and that started my odyssey of 22 years of study over the next 50 years. In 1972, I was working on the bins with the council. I was also working driving a bulldozer on a landfill scheme. This was the council. I wrote to the council and I asked them for a day release facility which they would give to the uh, white collar workers. Well, they give it to me. So for four days a week I was driving a bulldozer and then the fifth day I was going to the local college of FE studying an ordering national certificate. Then, uh, you know, gained the price for the best student. After that, I took a humanities degree, a PGC, and a, a master's degree in industrial relations. And then 20 years of studying, then um, daily health, terrible chronic depression, suffered a stroke, retired, and then wanted a challenge. So then I went back to the Open University and studied them for 12 years. Initially, I did um, an M.Ed with it, but the courses are so good, those took three years. I did an an extra two. I enjoyed it so much. Did some undergraduate courses with them, politics, philosophy, and then 2017, I thought, you know, am I up to do a doctorate? It's a challenge. And I did. And that's when I started and I gained the doctorate at D.Ed. in 2021. So that's when to doctor in 50 years.
0: That's great. I mean, thank you, Alan, for, for sharing your background. I think that's really interesting context for, I suppose, your, your educational journey. And I think it, it sort of replicates some of the colleagues that I worked with before. But I think the impact or the, the relevance it has to the piece of work we're going to talk about today is really, really clear. So some of the, the diversities of, uh, of of educational challenge and opportunity across Wales. That's very, very clear with uh, the major ongoing education system level reforms that are taking place, obviously, with the new curriculum for Wales. But can you just tell us what prompted you to undertake the work for this study? Yeah, sure. The
1: second reason, really, I think uh, the first one was I wanted a challenge. When you were sort of written off academically at, uh, you know, 11, 15 it's always I've always subsequently enjoyed the challenge, and you know the thought of actually you know submitting an article which would be published was a major challenge. At my stage in life, you know education when I started trying to get a good education, it was for purely instrumental considerations. It's not now; it's intrinsic. I've got a deep love of knowledge, learning, and study. So they were the main ones. And I think it's also the working class work ethic, the Protestant work, that, you know, uh, it's important to, you know, to to work, to do something. And if I feel that, you know, I've got some leisure time, I've got to do something before that, that to me it shows that I um, deserve it and I've earned it. I know it sounds a bit odd, but, you know, that's the way it is. And I think it's, I don't know if you're familiar with the work, of so the Ernest Becker, you know, um, he's a fabulous writer and um, he's on about leaving a legacy. So when we spin off this mortal coil, there'll be things here and they'll say, oh, he existed, you know, look what he did. And I think, you know, this thing with posterity. So my research is into school governance. It was at a pivotal time, really. When I did a master's degree in, in Cardiff, I did in industrial relations. I've always been really interested in organizational behaviour. You know, you go back to the to the bulwarks of Michel and you know, Wright Mills and, and so on. And that, that was really why I wanted, you know, to to have a go now of writing an article, which which, you know, I'm very grateful that you've accepted.
0: I mean thank you it's a really well formed piece of work and I think that background context around the different parts of the education system or the 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 bits that that glue everything together the breadth of focus that we have for the Wales Gen of education I mean this is this is a really interesting kind of dimension and context when you start to look at things like governance of schools particularly the sort of socioeconomic challenges of certain schools across Wales or communities across Wales but particularly that parental voice so that kind of engagement with if understanding what's happening with with their children's education or um, certainly as part of these ongoing reforms so kind of moving on from that i mean can you just tell us a, a bit about the specific focus of the article so you've given us the kind of top level the context for the work but, but specifically around what did you aim to achieve through this piece of work what were your kind of broader research questions and, and ambitions well i'll tell you what the research title is it's um, primary
1: school parent governance in a deprived south wales community how do the experiences contribute to our, our knowledge and understanding of school governance? So if you break that down, well, the focus is parent school governance. Now, um, under the Welsh system of school governance, the largest numerical group of governance are the parents. So that suggests that the, the Welsh Government really wanted them to be at the forefront of, um, you know, of, of uh, leading governance. Uh, it's, the second bit is an, e- in a, an economically deprived community. You know the, the, the valleys you know, really are, you know, quite deprived. I worked in a school and the free school meals there was 70%. Well, so that was a second aspect of it. You know, I wanted to know what were the stories that they had of uh, governance, you know, in, in these particularly deprived areas. Um, my research took place in what uh, were Communities first um, areas. Now, these were areas that were designated by the Welsh government as deprived. So the average of, of those pupils receiving pre-school meals in most schools is around 20 odd percent. Now, in the areas that I researched, there were 40 plus, and some, you know, significantly higher. So um, in Wales, the school government is constituted under stakeholder, stakeholder principles. You know, the parents are the largest group, and um, and stakeholder is based upon um, egalitarianism. All members theoretically should have an equal say in what's going on. But from the literature that I uh, read prior, that oftentimes that uh, the head teacher had been seen to be the dominant force, and that um, other other governors really have been cut out. So this was a background of it. Many years ago, I was a parent governor and really, I turned up for meetings and I nodded. Now, there's been a lot of changes since then. One of them is the mandatory um, governor training. So I assumed that um, this had made a big difference. But when I spoke to some of my friends who are now parent governors, their experiences were broadly the same as mine. So that was the, the background, but slightly more than that, if I could just add there, that when we had devolution in Wales, you know, when Wales was given its own powers over education, you know, it it had a lot to prove. And of course then what had happened with the, the PISA results of 2009, you know, Wales education was really, really put in the doldrums and, you know, the, the accusations that it's, that it's failing systems and so on. And that's been a system you know, and, and uh, that has just been very, very difficult to shake off. So for a, you know, a newly enfranchised uh, country, Wales, you know, education is very, you know, it's so important. And the PISA results, and I've got a lot of criticisms of the PISA miners, Probably a lot of you have. So really, that was the, uh, the background of it. I wanted to find out, you know, what's happening with the parent governors and how they thought.
0: Thanks, Alan. Actually, um, at the time of recording, so uh, obviously, depending when this uh, podcast gets published uh, online, PISA results, are, I think, are actually coming out this week. Uh, so it would be really interesting to see that.
1: It'll be interesting, yeah.
0: That wider context. And obviously, we've seen that, you know, the multiple ministers over the past kind of 10, 15 years, that has been a driving force for, um, for educational policy and, and educational reform in Wales. It will be very interesting context as we go into 2024 and beyond, particularly when we see the emergence of the of the new curriculum for Wales. And um, just to pick up on, to, I mean, thanks, Alan. That, that, I think that's really interesting context, particularly the socioeconomic piece. So we, you know, we clearly recognise there's still economic challenges across Wales, and you know how they can exacerbate um, educational inequality. Um, but just to kind of pick up specifically about your work. How did you frame uh, so obviously a really interesting research question? Did that turn into the specifics of like what type of data did you need to collect? Uh, how was that kind of framed to, to address some of those research questions?
1: So I used a mixed method approach. The main uh, gathering tool was a semi-structured interview, but I wanted some factual information. So I used um, a structured questionnaire for that and a semi-structured um, questionnaire. Uh, the reason for those was I wanted just factual information. How long had people worked in a school? How long had they been a parent, governor and so on? So that when I was able to then present my findings, I'm able to do it, in, you know, in two, two ways. First of all, I'm able to say that four out of the ten participants, you know, said this, and then I was able to give um, a quotation which was representative of those sentiments. So what I did, uh, I I was able to um, get the respective local authority governor uh, governor trainers uh, on board, and they contacted all parent governors in all community areas on my behalf to see if they would want to take part in the uh, research. Well, that was 200 and odd parent governors and 17 positive replies. So then um, I, I worked out that... Um, I wanted to interview 10 of them. So that was out of the 17 that was done on a random basis. As I said, there are more data, you know, all my um, the, all my interviews were recorded, transcribed and analysed. And then I was just looking then for patterns so that would answer the, the, the question of what were their experience of leadership and accountability. So it was um, basically a non-probabilistic, uh, with an element of uh, convenience. These, uh, my participants were there. There's no way that I could stand outside the school gate and say, are you a parent governor? Would you like to take part? Uh, You know, they, they, I was able to access them through the local authority, which I'm very, very grateful. So I interviewed um, every single one of them at least once. I interviewed a few others a second time because when I was transcribing data, there was things that I'd missed. So I wanted to go back and to make sure that I hadn't missed those particular aspects I wanted to develop. And where there was sort of any ambiguity in what I thought that the responses meant, I emailed people, uh, the respondents. So at the end of that, then I think, you know, that I was fairly confident that, you know, the way in which it's gone about it, that the results were, you know, they, they were good. The only thing is that um, the random sample, it, um, you know, when you're dealing with that, you know, it's not a random sample. The sample is very suspect. I didn't, I didn't uh, interview any head teachers in this. They were just purely parent governors. So that is, you know, obviously um, a consideration when you're looking at the findings.
0: No, I think that's the that's a really key point around. Um... The challenges. I mean, I think in general the challenges of kind of data collection, particularly uh, tapping into some of these specific communities or categories of people. I mean, did you, as part of that, uh, you know, and fully acknowledging some of the constraints which you which you acknowledge in the paper around the data collection, but did you uh, did you find some reluctance for people to engage in this in this piece of work, particularly um, as we'll come on to the findings shortly, but just in the perhaps the sensitivities around some criticality around yeah. how school governance works in Wales.
1: Well, I like to think I'm a pretty sincere sort of person, and I assured all the participants that you know anything that they said, you know, the ethical, uh, the ethical independence, it was so important. Like we often assume adults, you know, that they can't be vulnerable as participants, but of course they can, you know. And then we have the power differentials. But out of the 210 parent governors, the the small number who Said yes, they would like to take part. I just assumed that they were the most confident out of those. Not necessarily so, it may be other uh, time constraints. So um, you know, I assured them that everything was, you know, anonymous and anything that, that I wrote, there was no way in which, you know, they could be identified. And I think it's innocent that, you know, you really need to be on the level with them. So no, they they weren't reluctant. They weren't reluctant at all. And in fact, some of the things, you know, what what they said, you know, was so interesting. And, uh, you know, you just wanted to go off at a tangent. But that was it. So um, I don't know, would you like me to tell me about, about my findings or?
0: Yeah, please. I, I think that's just to reiterate what you just said there around the opportunity for that parental voice to come through, I think, comes through very clearly in the paper. So actually, I, you know, I tried to kind of inquire about whether there was some reluctance but actually the opportunity for some of the parents particularly in a in a school governance kind of school engagement perspective really comes through uh in the way that you framed your work so yeah uh, really keen to kind of move on to um for you to kind of summarize uh the main findings of the paper thanks alan well
1: there's quite a few quite interesting finding so i'm i'm going to you know speak about them but a fairly constrained manner because otherwise you could be all day well first of all with something which did surprise me it, that all the participants were in some form of employment. Now, my, all the schools that, that um, you know, that took part, they were all communities first, where there's a high level of um, unemployment and so on. But all the parents that who participated, they were in some form of employment. So I, I found that, you know, that was, that was really interesting. But um, I think, now that is, you know, something can be followed up in so much as does that, uh, further research we could identify if that's a common pattern. And I suggested if unemployed folk in uh, communities first, or what were communities first, put themselves forward, that they were unlikely to uh, be elected, or secondly, that the confidence was so short that they didn't put themselves forward in the first place. The second thing, um, I wanted to know how they um, thought about the role of a, of their parent governors before. They took office i asked them, you know what do you think he was going to be involved and that, without exception all of them said they put news positive terms, you know to be at the heart of government making decisions they weren't really sure about what went on but they knew it was making the decisions and they wanted to be at the heart of it unfortunately in office none were none they, they were very very much peripheral figures and uh, the, you know there's seven reasons for it. well the first one the most important was um, the head teacher and I'm not making derogative terms here because I didn't interview any head teachers but it's a specific of the head teacher is that they've got a unique role they are members of the governing body and they're also uh, de facto the chief executive of the school so that means as part of the uh, brief from the Welsh Government they've got to policies to take to the go to the government body for approval, so they are writing policies, and then in their role as governor, they are judging them. So you know it's 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 full of sort of latent um, ambiguity. My my um, my parent governors they didn't know where the heads' uh, role ended and then the uh, you know the governor role started. I got in touch with the Welsh Office, and apparently. The, the head teacher cannot opt to become a governor, and in all cases, they have. There, there isn't, I don't believe there's any school there. So there's other things then, is that there were some cases, uh, you know, that they turned up and basically they were just asked to endorse things. That was it. It, it came from that the head was a professional, he, was sa- he or she was salaried, they were high stated, they were knowledgeable, and they were generally things that ordinary lay parent governors were not. The chair, you know, the chair is is there to lead discussions and bring everybody in. But most of my participants said that it was the head who controlled meetings. You know, we we'll do this, we we'll do that, we're moving on, and and the chair would more or less um, nod their head and say, "Well, fair enough." They were all oligarch, you know. The head teacher, chair, and possibly one or two of the governors. The rest of it, they were there. Uh, they nodded their heads. Their role were just to uh, yes, to, to to endorse proposals. Now, they, they, their agency was very much institutionalized, and the main part of this was uh, in the early party uh, party government. There didn't seem to be any positive role models. If you were going to a meeting and the head, there was one parent, governor said to me, well, my very, very first meeting, the head said almost everything. The, the chair said very little and nobody said anything else. And I thought that's the way it's going to be. The mandatory training, it is supposed to give agency to um, uh, the, the parent governors. It did inform them. But ironically, in some cases, because of the emphasis upon uh, data handling, it made them more dependent upon the head. Uh, one or two of my participants said, I'm not very good with figures. I didn't know what was going on. So, uh, you know, the head I was reliant upon them. Uh, one of the biggest um, things was a lack of confidence on the parts of the participants. Uh, and going back, they didn't have the knowledge. Now, in a, in a modern uh, sort of context, educational knowledge is a bit of a slippery thing, but there's at least two, you know, you've got educational knowledge, it's about the rules and so on, and then it's about the managerial part of the business. And over the last 20 years, it's the managerial part where you've, you're Able to implement policies which have become, uh, you know, which have become more important. So when you have parent governors who have traditionally been lauded for their lay perspectives, they don't possess that particular that sort of knowledge. There was other factors. Um, there was loyalty to the head teacher. A lot of my participants they said he or she is doing an extremely hard job. They've got the Welsh Office on their back. On top of that, they got the local authority. I don't want to have to it. The school is doing pretty good. I'm happy to, for the head to carry on. Uh, there was a lack of confidence. And it, in some cases, that sort of filtered down to in office. There was uh, two of my participants. They were frightened of making decisions simply in case things went pear-shaped.
0: That's really interesting. The, the the different layers and structures you mentioned there, Alan. So, you know, I think that that's probably been a, a long um, a long-standing concern around the different levels uh, of government or the the different organisations that are involved in supporting schools. So did that come through quite clearly? I mean, obviously we've got Welsh government at as, as, as the sort of top level. We've got the local authorities, or we've got the regional educational consortia, and then you've got various other organisations that are, that can that are involved in school performance or um, or supporting schools that are challenged. So, yeah, so that, did that come through around perhaps the the clarity of how these different layers and structures support schools, or was that was it uncertain for? School governors, particularly parental governors, to understand the the intricacies of of, um, of education oversight in Wales.
1: Yeah, the, a lot of them, you know, did find it very, very, very difficult. But um, the, what had happened is that you know schools now are businesses, and when you have a business, if you've got governors who are skilled, they would tend to be more valued than those with a lay perspective so on that case you know the uh, most of my participants they, they were very very marginal figures they were they were on the hinter hinterland of irre- irrelevancy.
0: that's really really useful and i think um i mean obviously the framing of, of this work in kind of south wales valleys i mean it's probably harder to kind of extrapolate this but do you anticipate that being the diversity of kind of challenge across wales so in the sense of you know what would be a ch- the kind of the challenge in say Cardiff compared to kind of more rural caradigion but just in the sense of uh, is there sort of specificity to this problem you mentioned that kind of socioeconomic sort of deprivation kind of challenge do you think that adds a specific dimension to this piece of work
1: yes because although the welsh government you know um, officially promote cooperation between schools you know we we are in a market economy and on that basis now, you know, schools in poor areas, they haven't got the lure of high educational attainment and, and links with prestigious um, Russell Group universities. So they com- they completely disadvantage in that. So it's, it's at the end of it, uh, you have the, the governors, they are trying to, you know, reconcile the facts that they have to compete in an unfair uh, play, playing school. But there's a lot more to it than that simply because parents who work in class communities, uh, you know, the old market system, you know, that, um, you know, like economics, perfect competition, you will move according to incentive. Well, it's a load of rubbish because the parents are lying to do they are children, even if they were in a school that didn't do very well. doesn't mean to say it's a poor school. And secondly, you've got um, friendships, And these parents don't want to. This is same my own children. They did not want to move them. And the irony of it is that you go back to, you know, uh, market principles, Adam Smith and and so on. And what is really galling is that, you know, everyone thinks of um, The Wealth of Nations, but Adam Smith's probably the greatest work was The Moral Sentiments. And in The Moral Sentiments, which uh, he wrote before uh, The Wealth of Nations, talk about six cents. You know, a sixth sense, fairness alacrity, and equity, so and social really justice,
0: which is no misled. No, no, I think that's really interesting in the context of of all the ongoing reforms around, I guess, like kind of marketization. I mean, this is you know, working at university, this is this is very keenly felt with regards to higher education. I get, I think, also further education, um, certainly in Wales across the UK. But it's interesting what that looks like in the compulsory education sector. So the idea of uh, the sort of geography of or the the communities around school so the the optionality for, for for the you deciding where your your children may go to school but then I guess there is something around there is a market for teachers and there is a market for other aspects of the education system around uh, the attractiveness of of where where teachers may wish to to, to teach but also the the huge demands on um, the recruitment and retention of specific teachers so I I I, I certainly see that but I see that kind of focus and scrutiny on on the attractiveness of working in certain schools and on your other point very quickly around that kind of widening participation kind of widening access to peace certainly for for post compulsory education, the sort of visibility of things like the Sarah network or um, raising aspirations, kind of raising wider type of stuff that's been happening across, certainly across all of South Wales. I think there's still a visibility challenge. I mean, did you, did, does that come through? There's sort of maybe a social capital piece that implicitly comes through in some of your work when you're talking to the parent parental governors. Did that sort of come through in the sense of their understanding of how the education system works and perhaps the opportunities as well?
1: All my uh, the, my participants, they were really, really sympathetic, you know, to what was going on, you know, economically. But they felt impotent. They knew that the, the budgets would be set by the Welsh Government or the local authority. And, and there, there was little that they could do about that. So they were making the best of a bad hand. They were making sure that all the kids, you know, in their schools if they were entitled to free school meals, dinners, uniforms, and the rest of it, that they actually receive them. But you know, going back to the point that you made, you know about um, you know more attractive areas. Uh, you know, I I referred earlier on about the eleven plus, and it was a similar thing then, simply because uh, the, the secondary modern schools were the rough ones, where you know you, you, it was all to do with pee and running around. And discipline, really difficult with discipline. And the grammar schools, relatively speaking, there was no um, discipline problems there. So you would then have people who would want, uh, you know, a career that's as easier, which we all do, to move on to
0: um, a grammar school if they, they could. Thanks, Alan. That's, that's, I think that's some really interesting context for uh, for kind of where we are now as an education system in Wales and you know some of the challenges and opportunities uh, facing us going forward. So just to, just to kind of perhaps pull pull this together as, as we come to the end, I'd normally ask um, kind of what are your implications for this research for education in Wales? But I'll, I'll ask a slightly different question. If you had three minutes with the Minister of Education tomorrow, what would be your kind of recommendations for kind of research policy and practice. So, you know, what would be the outcomes of this work that you would recommend to the Minister to to have an impact on the system in Wales? So, you know, what 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 would be tangible outcomes from this piece of work? Right, well, it wouldn't be very popular. First of all, um, get out of Pisa.
1: Uh, I know that it takes courage, but whatever you do takes courage. You know, you go back to uh, the principles of the learning curve, country where you know like where education is meant to you know to uh, to restore a uh, civic participation and um, I think that the yeah the main thing would be to get out to the, this business where you know people are fighting tough and nail against each other where schools are pitted against each other or well, our results are better than US all right. Results may not be published, but that doesn't make any difference because your middle class parents will certainly know where the best school is. So that would be a very quick three minutes with the minister. I
0: don't think there's anything wrong with criticality here. I think that, that, you know, there are um, there's times to be bold and brave. And I I guess we've kind of seen that as part of some of the the ongoing reforms around um, the aspirations and opportunity. You know, education as a national mission is a very clear framing. But I think you know there is nothing. There's nothing wrong with making some bold recommendations if they are backed up with evidence. We can see the wider impact. So um, I think uh, I think they would be welcomed. Yeah. Well, there we are. So uh, I'm very
1: grateful that you've taken the time to you know speak to me. I'm very grateful.
0: No pleasure, uh, Dr. Marianne. Thank you very much, Alan. Thank you for your um, for telling us about your article. Um, I think you know really looking forward to uh, colleagues to to read this and its wider impact across the system in Wales. So. Um, If you'd like to read the article we've been discussing, visit the Wales Journal of Education website where all the articles are available to read with no subscription. They're they're open access. It's a platinum open access journal. They're free to access and free to read in both English and Welsh. Thank you for listening and thank you very much to, to my guest today, Alan. This is a series of podcasts where I and the other two editors of the Wales Journal of Education discuss the research that's published in the journal and you can subscribe in your podcast app or listen on our website.